setting a stopwatch, just so that you know. It's been a real delight getting to know your church. You have a lovely church. Uh, don't be at all worried about this whole uh, not having a pastor thing, because there is immense pastoral depth within your church. And um, yeah, I'm really pleased to see you're not panicking about that. Uh, the Lord will provide in his time, and in the meantime, you're doing great. I would gladly send along any friend to be looked after by you at this church. So it's been a real delight getting to know you. I came in blind. I can't even remember how this came about that I was <laughs> coming to speak with you, and I don't normally do a lot of uh, church weekends because I don't like to be away from my church and my family. Um, but there you go. I'm really delighted to know you. So thank you very much for your welcome. Uh, look, I just wanted to show you something from this morning that I didn't get to um, finish off. I'm going to reset that, that PowerPoint. So we're going to press escape and then relaunch the slideshow. That's the way to do it. Thank you very much. And then pray. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I've been talking about this this morning, this idea about growing up, and, and we've tried to take this seriously with our children, and it's true that when you hit around 12 years old, pretty much in every culture back through the ages, it's been recognised as a milestone. It's in the Jewish culture, it's where boys have their bar mitzvah, girls the bat mitzvah, it's the, the making of the man, the making of the woman, it's... It's recognised that from that point on, roughly, you are starting to adult. Why we call it adolescence. And so we try to uh, build some expectation in our children that that's what's happening. And so as my daughter got to 11 years old and as she's leading up towards her 12th birthday, this is a little infographic I made for her to try and help her understand what the point of growing up is what it means to actually become an adult. And for an 11-year-old to see herself portrayed on the page as um, uh, a woman in the world who's responsible for herself, that's what I was trying to impress on her. And I made clear to Steph that this is our job as parents, is to get you ready to be this person. And this is the path you're on. It's a path of responsibility. And now that you're turning 12, we want you to start to take on responsibility at the right stages, in the right steps, with the right help from us, and we are right with you all the way. But we are producing an adult in our house, not a child in an adult skin. And so the infographic attempts to show the things that are in front of her that she's yet to face, and the things that are behind her that are, I guess, the trail that she leaves behind. So if you think about the things that are ahead, there's relationships and all the dynamics. So she's 17 now. You can imagine how complicated that's become. Um, and the choices that she's got to make. She's got to learn how to make choices. How do you decide things in life? Her learning, she needs to be responsible for her learning and not just from books, but from television and culture and from friends and from, you know, who says what and learning to be discerning. Uh, work, thinking about herself as a worker, consumption. And also, importantly, she needs to take responsibility for this. All of us face trouble. It's a sign of an immature adult that when trouble comes, they blame everybody, whinge and complain. It's a sign of a responsible adult that when trouble comes, they acknowledge that's part of life. Trouble will come. 
And on the back of the cloud is the joy, because on the other side of trouble is joy when we work our way through it with the Lord's strength. So we're trying to teach her to have a sense of expectation about what is ahead in her life, and also think about what she leaves behind. We wanted to make clear to her that actually, um, yeah, you can't control your reputation, but you can live in a way that is honourable and brings honour to God and honour to your family and honour to yourself. And you have some responsibility for honour and dishonour. You certainly have responsibility to leave a trail of blessing. That's the main thing you're here on this planet for. And we try to help her to see that adults realise that they are being followed. Adults realise they are being followed. Okay, immature adults have no idea that they are being followed and should not be followed. Adults realise they have followers and in her case, it was a case of helping her see that her two little brothers really look up to her. And she now, as she adults, she has a responsibility to think about. And it won't just be her brothers, it'll be other people that she mentors and disciples. So Steph yesterday met at a cafe with a year nine girl in her school that she's um, discipling, a good thing. And this is the big one. Adults take responsibility for the messes they make. <laughs> but also relational messes. It's immature adults who, again, cause hurt but never own it, can never say sorry, can never admit they are wrong, can never acknowledge the hurt that they've made and do take their um, responsibility to clean it up. So this is trying to help her see uh, what it means to grow up and take responsibility. And of course, none of this is going to work until she gets her heart right. And so we made her understand that it's her responsibility to cultivate her heart before the Lord. And we gave her some categories to think about that. Her identity in Christ, uh, her values that flow out of that identity and her relationship with God. And out of those values comes purpose, knowing why you're on the planet. And then from that purpose comes the commitments that you make and the habits that you form. Okay, so we found this a helpful little grid to teach Steph what it means to grow up. And then my son Austin, he's uh, 14 now, so as he was approaching 12, I flipped it all around and made a little similar infographic for him. Now, you know, they humour me. Uh, <laughs> We have those little chats, but it's given us a really good foundation. Every now and then we'll pull this out and we'll talk through it and we'll say, well, how's it going? And when they're 12, this doesn't mean that much. What are you talking about then? You know, I'm happy with my friends. Ah, but when you're turning 15, well, that's suddenly very interesting. <laughs> yeah. You get the idea? So responsibility, stepping up. Well, let's talk tonight. <clears throat> And in your book, we're on the third story. This is called Move On. Tonight's message will be short. I am especially speaking tonight for those who've experienced pain and hurt in life. And if you feel like your life is just cruisy and what I'm saying for you tonight just really doesn't connect with you, yeah, that's fine. My apologies and just be patient with us. But perhaps one day you'll understand what real life hurt feels like. Because you can't talk about life stages without talking about real pain. And the Bible gives us a very wonderful and helpful image by which to understand the pain of this life, and it's the tree of life. 
The tree, as you know, is in the Genesis narrative, a description of all God's blessing and goodness and what he wants for you. And what he wants for you is life. Imagine living your life under that abundant tree, daily contact with all the goodness of God. If Psalm 104 used the image of water, well, Genesis uses the image of a tree. In fact, it's the Bible that uses this image, doesn't it? Because from Genesis 3, where the curse is struck and Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, this is when your life and mine took on the shriveled shape that it does. Where God said, man must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. What a devastating moment. And as you know, the narrative doesn't stop there. In Genesis 6, the Lord cries in his heart. He weeps and mourns and grieves over humanity's sin. He says, my spirit will not contend with humanity forever. Their days will be 120 years. Remember that connection between our mortality and our sin. And between today and the day you die, you and I will experience this. We've been banished from the tree. And you know how the narrative ends? The beautiful book of Revelation is where we are headed that day, gathered before the throne of God. And this is the image again. On each side of the river of life stands the tree of life. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. It's a beautiful picture of heaven, isn't it? Water of blessing flows, the river. And on each side, tree upon tree upon tree upon tree. And Revelation says this tree just fruits every season, every month, every moment. It's fruiting, 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 fruiting. It's an image of lavish abundance. And what are those leaves? Healing for the nations. Please remember that framework. Because life outside the garden is painful. And you don't have to live that long to experience the distress and the brokenness of this world. If we think about our little life stages, maybe we can track through and sense the degree of distress that can come in. For even in childhood, illness rears its head. So my brother John, my younger brother, has two children. Their second child was born with Beals syndrome. It's a very uncommon uh, dysfunction. It's where the joints basically are overextended and overly loose. She's extra long and extra tall in every uh, part of her limbs, and her back is her backbone is contorted and twisted inside her body. So a really tricky, uh, confronting um, thing to be dealing with as parents of a newborn child holding a little one who is obviously going to head for a life of trickiness. Praise God, she's doing amazingly. Saw her on Friday. But that's the thing, isn't it? <clears throat> Illness and disease are part of the life stage. And it's often in that child stage that parents realise, okay, my child has some condition. Illnesses can kick in later in life, but disabilities tend to reveal themselves early, don't they? But there's plenty of other things that can afflict those childhood years. Families in distress, 
even the school years can be traumatic for some, right? Is there a child in your experience who was bullied at school? What a horrible experience. And if you're not part of a family that's loved you well and affirmed you and encouraged you, the childhood years can be very distressing. It's later on in life, I think, that many of the disappointments and frustrations of life in a broken world really um, emerge. If you are someone who's born with a chronic disease, uh, it's as you get into your youth years that you start to notice the gap and the difference between what you're able to and what the other kids are able to do, the other young people. You start to sense the uh, debilitating effects It's in those youthful years that the serious accidents happen, those life-changing events that change the course. And then the relational hurts of youth. But in those middle years of life, this is where the disappointments really pile up for some and the frustration. You see, I've been talking this weekend about life stages, right? Child, youth, middle, retiring, senior. And that's pretty much a standard package that all of us are going to track through unless we're cut short. But actually, through those package packages, your life and mine are completely individual. So you have your own life story that is nothing like my life story. Where you were born, what your influences were, what happened at this age, when you went there. what, And your story is very different to mine. So I don't want you to feel boxed in by these compartments. So there's life story, but then I want to give you a second piece of language. Life script. A life script is an expected path. It's a story we tell ourselves about what's going to happen next. And we carry these life scripts. Some of them are given to us by our parents in the way that they raise us and they teach us. It's expectations about what's supposed to happen. And usually it involves marriage at some point, parenting at some point, maybe some kind of job or vocation. But we have a script in our minds, whether it's conscious or subconscious. And it's in these middle years that people, many people discover that their life path is nothing like that script. And see, if you're single and aching to be married at 25, that is nothing like single and aching to be married at 45. And the capacity for immense disappointment. If you have imagined yourself as holding a newborn baby in your arm and then pregnancy doesn't happen, the childlessness goes on and on and on, that is an ache and a frustration that you cannot script for yourself. You have to know it to know what it's about. And so immense capacity for pain. The middle years, of course, sees our bodily complications, our medical complications start to kick in as well, don't they, as our bodies degenerate, according to all those processes. But there's also a huge capacity, capacity for relational disruption in those middle years. This is when marriages fall apart. This is when there's breakdown between parent and child. Kids who do not want to talk to their parents anymore. Massive painful ruptures, perhaps even a loved one that's lost, a husband that is now dead, or a mother that is no longer there. There is huge capacity 
for emotional pain and brokenness. And please don't imagine happy grannies and giggly grandpas because everyone hurts. And even the grandmothers and the grandfathers can carry great emotional pain, a great sense of regret and personal failure. In fact, some of the hardest changes in your life are going to happen at this end here. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to be somebody, to be someone in your organisation, to be responsible for this? They call it executive power, being able to take command of yourself, being able to make things happen and then to lose all that. Can you imagine what it's like to let go of the company and leave it to others and to step out of the limelight and become just a little old me in the corner? A huge loss of control, role changes. Yeah, you've got some challenges ahead, all of us do. And I want to make special mention of mental illness. Everything from, it's the, un, it's the unseen distress, isn't it? It's, it's the one that's so hard for others to understand. Anything from something really mild, like depression, let's say or even a, even a chronic depression. This is a most terrible affliction. If you're suffering from depression, my heart goes out to you in a big way. Because here is an illness that impacts your capacity to maintain, maintain perspective on your illness. Every other affliction you get through with perspective, right? You break your leg, Perspective tells you, okay, this is for a time, I've got to wear crutches, and then I'll get through and we get there. You have even a cancer diagnosis, and it's perspective that will get you through however you've got to get through that. But when perspective is the very thing that's afflicted, that's a terrible place to be. And so I just want to talk in a sober tone for a minute about the real pain that is already here, isn't it? It's already in this room. And if you're honest with yourself, you're already feeling it now. And so let's not play pretend churchy games. You know the plastic smile? I'm great, you're great, let's sing about Jesus. The best thing we can do for each other is actually be honest. I'm struggling, you're struggling, let's hold on to Jesus. Yeah? So I want to say a particular word just for a few minutes tonight about bitterness. Because what's this all got to do with life stages? Yes, every stage has its pain, but why, that's, why is that particularly important for this weekend? Because you'll get to a point in your life where if you haven't dealt with the pain of your past, you will not be able to move on. This is the definition of bitterness. It's where I'm so held up looking back that I cannot see my way to move forward. Bitterness. If you've experienced real anguish of soul, you are not alone. And Psalm 13 is your friend. I like Psalm 13 because it's short and sweet and it's written from a place of real pain.
pain and anguish. And do you know what? It has no easy answers. And that's just perfect because pain and distress and real, the real agonies of life have no easy answers. And Psalm 13 does not give you any shortcuts. It does not end with a happily ever after. Even Job got his happily ever after. But Psalm 13 just hits the nail on the head and says, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Listen to chapter 13, verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Isn't that exactly the experience of bitterness? The thoughts that were around the heaviness of the heart. If you know it, then you know it. And Psalm 13 does lead us in the right direction. So the scriptures do give you words by which to speak your distress. You are allowed to be upset. The scriptures never say paint over a plastic smile. The scriptures give you words for lament. And the lament is crying out to God how unfair things seem to be. And you have permission to cry those words. Psalm 13 is a good place to go. But Psalm 13 encourages you not to wallow there. And does point you forward in the right direction. Verse 5 and 6. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. For he has been good to me. And in the end, this is the way out and the way through. It is God himself. But before we get there, here again, here's Job chapter 10. I loathe my very life. I'll give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Self-hate, the pointlessness of life. What on earth is this all for? And so Psalm 71, verse 20. Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. And I do want to encourage you until you acknowledge that it's God himself who led you down that path, you'll not know how to realize that it's God himself who's going to lead you out of it. Let me say that again. It's God who led you down that path of pain and distress. Until you can own that honestly before him and realize that he is responsible to deliver you to the other side. You will not find your way out. It's in his wisdom and somehow in his sovereign grace that he leads you in and he will lead you out. And so Ephesians chapter 4 in the New Testament has a strong word against bitterness and allowing bitterness to cultivate in a congregation, especially bitterness that arises from breakdown of relationship between people. And listen to the strong word in chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. You see, this is what bitterness does in the end. It doesn't stay in your heart. It comes out in aggressive, uh, dysfunctional uh, outbursts toward others and kindnesses until you sort out how you got to where you are and why you carry the limp that you carry until you reconcile that before God and say, God, 
In your love, you've led me to this point, and in your love, you've given me this limp, and in your love, you'll lead me forward. You'll not be able to relate in a healthy way to others. It's going to twist your heart. They say that about bitterness. Have you heard? I think it might even be a Chinese proverb. Bitterness is like drinking the poison as you sit in the corner and expecting the other person to drop dead. That's the thing, isn't it? Wallowing in bitterness actually destroys you. It doesn't accomplish anything else. And so be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And some of the most destructive bitterness is bitterness between Christians inside churches, and it's stopping us from moving forward. It's stopping us from stepping up and growing up. Hebrews chapter 12 has a very strong word. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So that's my encouragement to you tonight. If you feel all hung up about your life so far, and if you detect any of what we call poor me, then you need to do some dealing with this before the Lord. Because friends, all of us are going to finish this life with a limp. <laughs> what did Ecclesiastes say? With a groan. Oh, that was uh, Psalm 90. With a groan we end our days. So let's get with the program. We're all broken. We're all struggling. And what the devil wants for you to believe is a lie. The devil wants you to sit in church thinking, looking around the room thinking, yeah, they've all got their lives together. And they're all going great, and I'm terrible. And it's a lie. All of us have got stuff we're dealing with. So let me encourage you tonight as I finish with the biggest story. Romans 8, how good is it? Here is the real story. I've been talking about five compartments of life, beginning with child and youth and middle and retiring and senior. But actually, there is a much bigger compartment that goes before that. It's called foreknown. Before you were even born, God had a compartment for your life where he set his affection on you and imagined you to be and ordained for you to be and decided that you would be. Your life began in his mind and his heart before the creation of the world. That's what foreknown means. And this is the context. The creation's groaning and waiting in the pains of childbirth, waiting for God's great plan to be revealed. We ourselves groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship. And here it comes, chapter 8, verse 29. Clicker, clicker. We know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who've been at work, uh, called according to his purpose. For God, those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. And those he predestined, he also glorified, uh, called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, glorified. You can see me racing against the clock here. Isn't this amazing? Those little life stages, they last as long as your 70, 80, 90 years. But the life stages God has for you, foreknown, predestined, 
called, you know, in the moment where it happened, justified, glorified, far bigger, far more wonderful. That's the big story. Let me encourage you tonight. Your days are in the Lord's hands. And so let me encourage you, you can move on from your pain. Whoops, let's keep going. But you're going to need each other's help. And so if you are carrying heavy burdens and you've not been taught how to share these with others, then hear the words of Scripture that that's why you are together as brothers and sisters, to share one another's burdens and to help each other move forward through our pain. I'm going to pray for us tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the comfort of your word. Thank you for the power of your promise. And thank you for this wonderful storyline of which we are part. Before the creation of the world, you decided that it would be. And only in your love has anything happened to us. Only within the confines of your foreknowing, predestining, calling, justifying, glorifying love has anything happened to us, whether good or bad. For you make it all for, your, for our good and for your glory. So thank you. And Lord, I want to pray a special prayer tonight for those among us here who are struggling. Perhaps in a way that's been hidden or a way that we've not found how to share with others. And I pray that you will give us a deep sense of comfort and peace tonight. We are not alone. And please help us in our brokenness to hold on to one to, onto each other and to help one another to move forward. And please, will you lead us toward that day where we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Are we doing questions? No. no? That's fine.